or two. Let's get into the Word of God. Um, the Lord has, has taught me a lot over the years. He's still teaching me. Uh, he's, he's built me up and equipped me to be the man that I am. And what that means is that he has brought me through many, many experiences. And in that time, he has built gifts and skills in me to prepare me to do the things he has called me to do. And he's doing the same for you, right? He's building us up. All your experiences, all the things that you're learning, he's equipping you, he's building you up to be the person, the man or the woman that God has called you to be. In my case, part of what God has called me to do is to teach and preach what I have learned to his church, which is a great and very humbling honor. The reason that I do it, the reason he's called me to do it is to equip the church, to help us to grow. When I come up here on a Sunday and we are getting into the Word of God, one of the primary things that I am called to do in that is to equip you, is to build you up, and myself. I preach to myself too. I preach to myself first in a lot of ways. To equip us for the work that God has called us to, to do, for the, for the, uh, to become the people that God has called us to be. Because if you're the person that God's called you to be, you'll do the work he's called you to do. And so from time to time at Axe Church Northwest, we've studied these series like the one we're in now, which we're calling Truth for Thinkers. We often call them our skeptics series because they, uh, they're aimed at equipping the church to engage the world with the gospel. And we do that by understanding the world and understanding how to think well. The Apostle Paul addressed uh, the Areopagus. Uh, on Mars Hill. This is in Athens, right? The marketplace is going. These people, they, they get around and they just talk about stuff. That was what they did in Athens. You know, it's like the cable news of the time with like the talking heads going back and forth and whatever, um, except their stuff was more interesting in some ways. But basically, they're there. They're talking about different ideas and philosophies. Well, Paul goes, and he's going to preach to these people. He's going to preach the gospel. And in order to do that, to bridge the gap from their pagan culture to Jesus, he had to understand a number of things about the way that they thought, about the kinds of things that they thought, about the kinds of things that he believed, so that he could help take those things and show them what in that can point them to Jesus. In order to do that, he had to understand them. He had to understand them. Uh, you have to be able to do that too. You, as a Christ follower, have to be able to do that too. If you love the people that God loves, that he has made in his own image and likeness, and if you want to see them saved from death, you will need to understand how they think. And you'll need to understand it for two reasons. Reason one, you need to see where you may have picked up some of the ways that they think. That even as a Christ follower, you've picked up some of the ways of the world and the way that they think. And number two, in order to bring the gospel to your neighbor, you have to understand where your neighbor is where they're coming from. You have to be able to meet them where they're at so that you can bring the gospel to them in a way that they can even understand. So it's important to be built up in this way. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles and look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is what is, is written to the Ephesians. Inspired The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this uh, to the church at Ephesus. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? Just so we're clear, it's not that football team in New Orleans. You, as a Christ follower, when the scripture references saints, that's what it's talking about. 
Not, not just in the Catholic Church like they make certain people saints. No, every single believer, every Christ follower is a saint. So we're equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. This is not just a place that we are coming to hang out together or to get a good speech or something like that. You're here to be equipped Equipped, and the, and the Greek word equipped there is talking about the idea of perfecting. Perfecting. Not just giving you equipment, not just giving you some training, but the idea that's wrapped up in that Greek word there, equipped, is to bring you to perfection. What God has called us to do. Be ye perfect as God is perfect, right? He's, he's trying to bring you into perfection. And I understand, nobody's perfect, and we all struggle with sin. Listen, God has called us to be taught, to be equipped, and the word equipped that's used here in the Greek has the idea of fully equipped. Perfect. Perfect. That's the goal. That's what we're reaching for. That's my job. My job, you know, as a pastor and a teacher, just like it says here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. My job is to equip and complete and help to perfect the church through teaching for the building up of the church, edification, edifying the church, building up the church. We have the great commission that we are called to do and to work at for the Lord. That's what we have, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's your call. Now, you can get a call, but in order to do the call, you have to be equipped, perfected in that job, built up, completed, ready to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age, amen. We have a call. We have a mission, a co-mission. We've been co-missioned by Christ to do a thing. And when we come in here on a Sunday morning, when you go to your life group during the week, if you go to the uh, Bible study on Wednesdays that's on Zoom, if you do, what we're doing there, the teachers, the pastors and the teachers of this church are there to equip us, to equip us. That's what it's about. It's not just about learning things because things are fun to learn. And, oh, isn't that interesting? The world does a lot of that. I've noticed that. They do a TED Talk or something. And the whole point of it is just, hey, I learned something interesting. It's not necessarily equipping you to do anything. That's not what we're doing here at the church. I'm not just telling you things that are interesting. They may be interesting. But the goal is for you to actually take that, get it in your heart, get it in your mind, and put it to work. It's about equipping you. If you're not a believer, and you're here this morning or you're watching this online, you're watching it later, make no mistake. I do not want to try to uh, trick you. I don't want you to feel like you've been tricked. I have a goal, a goal, a call, and that call is to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what I've been called to do. If you're here, I'm going to be trying to do that. I love you, I care about you, 
There's all kinds of other things that, that I also want to do for you, but the primary call that I have from the God that created you in his image and likeness is to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you could be saved from sin, to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, to grow and to know God and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and then to teach you all that Jesus Christ has commanded. That's my job. That's my goal. If you're an unbeliever, if you're, if you're outside the church, you have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you have not allowed him to come in and save you, you have not called upon his grace in paying for your sins on the cross and rising again showing that he's God, I'm here to tell you about that, to shout to you about that, about the glory of the good news. That's what I'm here to do. That's what every Christ follower in here is here to do. So if you feel targeted, you are. Targeted for glory, for joy, for mercy, for peace, for grace. That's our work. We're excited to do it. We're excited to do it because God has used people in the past that have done it for us, that have been faithful and that have brought us, whether it's your parents. My parents loved the Lord. My parents brought me up and taught me about Jesus. Some of you, it's a friend. Some of you, it's a church somewhere or a pastor somewhere. But Christ followers have been faithful to this commission for 2,000 years, which is why people continue to come to know Jesus. And you need to be equipped for that. And just so you know, if you're an unbeliever, you're checking this out, we don't need anything from you. We're not looking for anything from you. We don't, we don't want your money. We don't want your praise. We don't need to say that we're so great here or anything like that. We're here to see you saved because we love you. We just want you to know Jesus because he is the God of the universe who made you in his image and likeness and has a plan for you and wants you to be with him forever. That's it. Don't need anything from you. But this is why I'm called to equip the church, the believers, as a pastor, as a teacher, to the Christ followers so that you who follow Christ can make disciples. You've got to be able to make disciples because that's what God has called you to do. And I've been called to equip. So that's what I'm doing. But to do that work, you have to understand. You have to be strong in your thinking so that your knowledge of the scriptures can actually be useful for the Great Commission. It's work. Let's keep going in Ephesians 4 for a second. It says, this is uh, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, perfect person, man, woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. This isn't a small goal, okay? You're being equipped, right? We're building the church up. Why? So that we can come to unity in the faith, and so that the knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God, will grow and grow and grow into you until you're a perfect man or woman. It's the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. And when that happens, what happens? This is what it says. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So when I'm equipping you, what am I doing? What are the teachers that you have in your life that God has put in your life doing when they're equipping you? They're helping you to grow up. They're helping you to grow up and helping themselves too. 
We're helping each other to grow up. We're going to be made perfect like Christ. We have to grow up. And this isn't about how old you are. That's not what growing up is about. This is about how bold you are. This is about being bold in learning the scriptures. This is about being bold in maturing, bold in proclaiming the gospel. When you don't work, you don't grow. It's that simple. It's really not harder than that. If you're asking yourself, man, I just do not feel like I have been growing in the Lord. I don't feel like I've been growing in my knowledge. It's because you're not working. It's because you're trying to have it happen by osmosis or you're trying the same things you've always tried, but you're not working. You've got to work if you want to grow. If you don't mature, you stay a child. As a human being, right, you grow naturally. Eat something, drink something, move around a bit, and you will grow up. You get bigger and bigger. You go from being very small to being very big. And for me, I got to how tall I was, and then I just, I wanted to keep it going. So I started going out this way. You just keep doing it, right? You just keep growing. Um, and, and that's how it works. The body, body naturally becomes a man or a woman. Without all that much work, you just kind of do the thing, you know, you just kind of eat, right? And, and you grow. But the Christ follower doesn't become a man or a woman of Christ without much work. No, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of learning. It takes a lot of personal discipline. It takes a lot of intentional growing. We're not always pushing that as the church, when I say the church, I'm just referring to Christianity at large. We're not always pushing intentional growing because it's hard and people are sometimes afraid to tell people that they need to do things that are hard. Because what if they leave? Well, I don't want anybody to leave, but I don't want you to stay and be a child. I'd rather have you leave and go somewhere where you actually would be moved to grow because we're actually called to do the hard stuff, the hard work, so that we can grow, so that we can become equipped. You can find Christ followers who have been Christians for a long time, who don't do the work and do not grow and are not fruitful. And if you have not experienced that, then you just don't know that many Christ followers, because there are Christ followers who they love Jesus. They'll say, I'm a Christian. No problem, they'll say that. But they're the same today as they were five years ago. There's no, there's no movement. There's no maturity. There's no growth. They're not, they're not becoming more perfect. They're not getting more equipped. They sit there every week, and there's no growth. They may or may not be giving or serving or doing anything. They're not reading their Bible on their own. They're not coming in here on a Sunday morning ready to learn and to grow. They're just doing the thing. And what do you know? Nothing changes. That's a child. That's a child in the faith. That's not a grown-up. But we're not trying to grow children here. We're trying to grow grown-ups. Grown-up Christians. Here's the problem with children and staying a child. Children will believe anything. Most of them believe a fat man in a red suit comes down the chimney to bring them gifts at Christmas. I mean, kids are ridiculous. They believe this stuff, right? Most of them don't even have chimneys. They still believe that. I don't know what they think. So ridiculous, right? Children can be, as the scripture says, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
and doesn't have to be that deceitful or cunning with children. You tell them something, they believe it. Some of you believe the moon was made of cheese because grandpa said it was one night, <laughs> right? For all I know it is, I haven't been there, you know. But we have, America has, right? right? Two kinds of countries, countries that use a metric system and countries that have been to the moon. Those are the two kinds. I heard that one this week. I just thought I'd get it out there. <laughs> We're going to end there. No, okay. Listen, children, children are moved around because they don't have the knowledge or the discernment because they have not worked and they have not grown. My calling is to see you grow, to teach you so that you cannot be deceived because the world and the devil are cunning. There's a lot of deceitful plotting going on, trying to pull you. If you're already a Christ follower, they can't pull you out of Christ, but they can pull you out of fruitfulness. The world can't take away your salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. But set you on the sideline real easy, get you distracted, get you lazy. At the end of the day, that's what it is. At the end of the day, that's what it is. We get lazy. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote an epistle to, uh, which is a letter, an epistle is a letter, to the church at Colossae. We call it Colossians. Kind of clever how we do that. Letter was to be read by the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. Okay? Um, and we look at uh, Colossians 4.16, it says right here, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. See, I wasn't lying to you. Now here's a map. If you can see it up here, for those of you who can see this, the ancient city of Laodicea is about a four-hour walk from Colossae. They're pretty close to each other. It's about 10 miles, I think, as the crow flies. Here's the walking path. This is from Google Maps yesterday. This, you can make this walk. Um, but this is where they are. So they're close to each other, right? They're going to be culturally similar and so on. So that's what's happening here. Paul is uh, called and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, this scripture, to the Colossians. Now, I mentioned Laodicea for a reason, because I want you to understand how important it is that we stay working hard. Working hard to understand the scriptures and to put them into practice. Working hard at the Great Commission. You're going to understand that. Colossians is likely written in the early 60s, maybe between 60, 62 AD, about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. At this time, uh, the churches were young, and the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write to these churches to sort of keep them on track, right? They're passionate, right? A young church, a new church, new believers, lots of Gentiles who find out that Jesus can save them from their sins. They're excited about it. Paul's writing to them, to, to the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and so on, being like, hey, Here's the stuff we got to do. You can read the, the book of Colossians, the whole thing. You can see what's going on with them. He's, he's getting them ready to go. But if you don't stay working, you might run into some problems, and we're actually going to find, Lord willing, we'll look at this a little later, but about 30 years later, we know that the church at Laodicea has developed serious problems. 30 years, okay, to go from a new church, a fresh church, that's getting Scripture written to you, Right? You get to be one of the churches where you're reading this letter in the church. It's scripture. That's the church that they were. 30 years later, we're going to see what they have become. Let's look at a couple things here in Colossians, this book that was written, this letter that was written. Start in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. That's just a good thing for us to know all the time. If we are not praying these days, I don't know what we're doing. 
There's a lot to be praying for. If we are not spending time with the Lord, talking to the Lord, we're making a mistake. Paul's telling them here, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Again, looking for the good red cars. Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, Paul's talking about himself here, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Paul's under arrest at this point. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And he says this, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, what's going on here? Let's just stop there for a second. He's saying, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Who's outside? Unbelievers. That's what he's talking about. It may, it may seem harsh. That's like there's those inside, there are those outside. But that's the reality, player. You're, you're a Christ follower. You're in the kingdom. Oh, you're not. I know that we have this sort of like, hey, look, every, every road leads to heaven. And if you, if you feel good about what you're doing and you're a good person. No. There are those inside and there are those outside. That's the reality. Now, why do we have to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside? Well, a lot of reasons. But one of them is if you want to bring them from outside to inside so that they can be saved, you better have some wisdom about what you're doing in order to bring the gospel to them. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Why? There's not much of it left, guys. That's why. Because it will not be long whether, you, whether the Lord tarried and you lived a full life or whether he comes back tomorrow, however he does his thing, your time is very limited to be effective for the Lord. And you're either burying that talent in the ground or you're coming back having doubled it. But one way or the other, your time is limited to do that. So walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace Season with salt. What does Jesus say? We're salt and light, right? What does salt do? It preserves, it flavors. When you are speaking to those outside who need Jesus, who you love because Jesus loves them because God made them in his image and likeness, when you're doing that, you need, your speech needs to be with grace and seasoned with salt. A little flavor in there. Work hard to speak well to those who are outside that they might be saved. Because it is us, the church, that is preserving the world. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord comes and he takes his church away, you will see exactly what the world will look like when the salt is gone. When the salt and the light depart, it's all darkness. It's all darkness. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. So you're walking in wisdom, you need to know how to answer each one. Answer them what? What are you about? What are you about? What is this Jesus thing about? Isn't that a, a bigoted thing? Isn't it dumb to believe in, in a Bible that's so old, written by men and blah, 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 all this stuff? Do you have an answer? Well, you have to have an answer. Why? Because we're told right here that you need to walk in wisdom so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Well, that takes some equipping, some perfecting, some understanding of wisdom, some understanding of knowledge. You got to get there. We're called to walk in wisdom. 
toward those who are outside. Did I just undo this? It'll go back up there eventually. Hey. All right. You got to understand that. When Paul is in Athens, as I mentioned earlier, and he's speaking to those who are outside, he understood what they needed to hear. And people were saved as a result of it. Why? Because he was walking in wisdom toward those who were outside, and he knew how to answer each one. Now, they weren't all saved, but some were saved because he knew how to answer them. He understood when he's dealing with the Israelites in Jerusalem, when he's being arrested, right? And he's like, let me talk, because he's always like, hey, let me preach. There's a crowd, they're literally trying to beat him to death. And he's like, this is a good time to, I mean, this is a crowd, I should preach. So he tries to do that, right? He knows how to speak to the Jew, he knows how to speak to the Gentile. How did he get there? He worked hard. He worked really hard. You're talking about a guy who was really smart and who used that gift to work really hard to understand things so he had knowledge so he could talk to anybody. He said, it would be all things to all men that by all means I might save some. Of course, he doesn't save them. The Lord saves them, but he is used to save them. How? Because he worked hard to understand what he needed to understand. Let's go to Colossians 2, 1 through 3. It says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. So here's Paul's kind of revealing his heart. The word conflict there is actually a word that kind of refers to uh, uh, the arena, right, where, where battle would, would sort of happen, whether that's gladiators or whether it's a, a, horse, a chariot race or that kind of thing. It is a conflict. There's a battle. He's, he's, he's struggling over the people in Laodicea and the people in Colossae, okay? These people who have not seen, many of them have not seen his face in the flesh, he was in Ephesus for a long time, not too far from there. These are all in Turkey. He's in Ephesus for a long time. He says he preached there in the school of Tyrannus for two years, and that all of Asia heard the gospel. So assumingly, these are people who heard it through that. And he's saying, look, I've got conflict. I've got conflict for you. Because here are the things I want for you, is what he says. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Now, if there's anything I want for the church, I want that. Hearts knit together in love, love, peace, and joy, and forbearance, and forgiveness, and desire for unity, all of that. That's good. That's good. Being encouraged, understanding who you are in Christ, that you have the power of the Holy Spirit that you've already won, absolutely. And then it says, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And what does he want? He wants them to get there. He wants to encourage, knit together in love, and to get to this point of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. That's what he desires for them. He wants them to have all of that. He's contending. He's contending for the faith of these believers. 
encouragement, unification, love, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Why? Why knowledge, wisdom, and understanding? Not just so they can act right. You'll notice here, he doesn't say anything in this little passage that his conflict, the contending that he's, that he's doing for these people, doesn't say anything about that you'll just stop cussing. Right? Or that, oh, man, I wish that you would not. He doesn't even talk about the, the big thing. He doesn't about lying. And of course he wants that. He doesn't talk about, hey, man, I just wish you would be better to the poor. He wants that, but that's not the thing that he's contending for. Because what does he know? He knows that if they have encouragement, unity, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, they're going to do those other things. That all comes from somewhere. And so what he wants is to build them up to equip slash perfect them in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And if they do that, then the Great Commission is going to happen. And all the things that flow from that in the mind of Christ will happen. He understands that. That's why the scripture is focused on that here. Because without growing in knowledge and wisdom, you will not be equipped to do those other things or to do them well or to do them for the right reasons. Without knowledge and wisdom, you will stay like children as Christians. And you will not be able to discern truth from lies. And if you don't believe me, just go on YouTube or go talk to just random Christians and ask them basic questions about what we believe and about Scripture and have them tell you some wacky things. It's not because they're terrible people. It's because they have not focused themselves on becoming equipped in knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And therefore, they're staying as children. And when they stay as children, tossed to and fro. Tossed to and fro. You go, how can people even believe some of the nonsense that comes out of churches sometimes? Because they're not strong. Because they've stayed children. And they don't have the ability, they have not built up the ability like the Bereans did when Paul comes to them and they check what he says by the word of God. That's who you need to be. You don't want to become convinced of the doctrines or the teachings of this world. Let's go to verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, that I am with, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. So this is what's going on in Colossae. Assumedly, Laodicea too, because he tells him to read the, the letter there. At, at this time, good order, right? Rejoicing. Steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Check, put that in your brain for a minute because we're going to come back to that in a second. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Not sit in him. Walk in him. Not just, just do the minimum. Just do what you got to do. Not say you're part of him. Walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. You got to be strong. Can you be established in a faith that you do not understand? or you only know the very basics of, that's not established. That's barely connected. Be rooted. How do you get rooted? The roots go down. The more that you learn, the stronger you get. And roots equal fruits. And you're not going to have good fruits if those roots aren't going down. So he's telling you here, that's what I need you to do as you have been taught. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. How do you get all this stuff? You're taught. 
How much should you value what's happening when people are teaching the word of God? You better value that teaching. Not the person, not, don't, don't worry about me, but the teaching that the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart as we read and expound the scripture, you've got to value it so that you can become rooted and built up in him and established in the faith and strong and a, a man or a woman of God. That's what you need to become. And keep going. Beware. Watch out. For what? Lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is all over all bodily, the whole Godhead, Son, Holy Spirit, that dwells within Christ. He is God. He's everything. And so what do you not need? The nonsense of the world. But it says beware. you got to watch out. Now he's talking to Christians. Why do they have to watch out? That they might get cheated. What's the, what's the deal? Why do they have to look out for that? Because some of them are children. Because they're saved, but they're not rooted. They're not grounded. They're not built up. They, didn't, they haven't worked hard. They haven't matured. They haven't grown up. The word cheat that, that is uh, here in the NKJV, your, your translation, if you have something different, might use a different word. Um, but it's, it's a Greek word, sulagogeo. Okay? You don't need to know that. Uh, but let me tell you what the outline of biblical usage and Strong's definition say about it. It's the, the word cheat there's actually means probably close to it is to, to steal, to carry off booty. Booty is what, you know, like the pirates got. It's not the, I just said booty in church. Um, <laughs> to carry off somebody as a captive, like to take a slave, to lead somebody away from the truth and subject to that person's sway, right? To sort of convince or brainwash, that type of thing. To seduce, to spoil. That's what the word cheat there. Cheat is it's an interesting choice of word. Uh, but what he's saying is, beware, because someone is going to grab you and steal you away and put you under their sway. You, a Christ follower who knows the Lord, but you're a child, so you can be tossed to and fro, and somebody's going to come and grab you, seduce you, and spoil you. That's what the word means. It's only used once in the New Testament, this word. Sulagogeo. One time, and it's right here. And it's about what? It's about philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So what, is, what are we being taught here? You are not safe to be a child. You better grow up because if you don't, you are going to get grabbed by the scruff of the neck and dragged into nonsense philosophies and empty deceit. Why do I spend the time telling you about it? Because if I don't, you won't see it coming because I got to equip you so that this doesn't happen to you because this happens. This happens. We grow up and we gain knowledge. And if we grow up and we gain knowledge, we're going to gain wisdom, understanding, and discernment, the ability to tell what's true and what's false. And so we cannot be salagageod. 
That's not how you would say that. But you can't be, Salagageo ain't going to happen to you. You're not going to be pulled away because you're like, no. I'm strong. I know the scripture. I know the word of God. I know the truth. I have understanding. I know how to think well. You're not going to pull me away with any of this nonsense. Right now we have this great apostasy. We have Christians, pastors, people who call themselves pastors, so-called pastors, saying things that boggle the mind. They're so unscriptural, but they don't care about the scripture anymore. Why? They got grabbed. They got taken away because they weren't strong. All right? When they're not strong, well, what happens? Well, what happens is they, the flesh is the thing that ends up being strong. And so they get carried away with any doctrine that tells them that they can satisfy their own flesh. I don't want that for you. But in order for you to not to have that, I have to tell you, you better work. You better come in here on a Sunday morning ready to play. Have your coffee and be ready. I'm not here to give you a speech. I'm here for us to work together to be equipped, perfected in knowledge and wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can go out and do the Great Commission because we got to redeem the time. That's what this is about. Now, I told you about Laodicea. In the scripture in the book of Revelation, uh, which is written about 30 years after this scripture here that went to the church of Colossae and the church of Laodicea, we have a letter to the church. And this is what we read. Revelations 3, Revelation 3, 14, verse 14, starting there. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Literally, I would rather you were cold then neither cold nor hot. At least I would know how to deal with you. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the church that Paul's saying, read this letter to them too because I'm contending for them, because I want them to come to knowledge. I want them to grow in all this. Do you know how many good things Jesus had to say about the church of Laodicea 30 years later? Not one good thing. None. He has to vomit them out of his mouth. That's what happened. Why? They didn't do the work, guys. They didn't do the work. They were complacent. And they became lukewarm. It's not that they weren't, they're still a church. It's not to the people who used to be in the church of Laodicea. They're going to church still. So you can be sitting here in one of these chairs and you can be like they are. Not hot, not cold, lukewarm. You're doing nothing. You're growing not at all. You don't do the work. You don't do the stuff. You don't give. You don't serve. This isn't what your life is about. This is the thing you do. That's what happened to them. And what does Jesus say? I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out. You're vomit spiritually. And then he tells them what they have to do to get back. Repent. Turn. So we have to repent from lukewarmness if we're lukewarm. It's actually a sin and a serious sin to be a Christian and to be lukewarm about it. 
is a serious sin. 30 years. That's all it took. 30 years later, give or take, a church that's being told to grow up and perfect their knowledge from that to a church that Jesus Christ is going to spit out of his mouth. They couldn't get on the stick. They couldn't be passionate for the Lord and for the Great Commission. But they weren't abandoning Christian practices. That's why they're still a church. You know what they were, though? They were rich. They were rich. You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That's what happens when you become wealthy. You believe you have need of nothing. They had made it. They had personal peace and affluence, which we talked about last week, Francis Schaeffer, the two great things that people want, personal peace and affluence. They, they had it. They had it. Jesus tells a parable about a sower, sowing seed, right? Sowing seed, some of it falls on the wayside, some of it falls on, on stony ground, some of it falls among weeds and thorns, some of it falls on good ground. The good ground, man, they're, they're fruitful. The stony ground, they, they spring up, but they're gone. And then the other ground that had the, and of course on the, the road, it just went away, never even, never even sprouted. But then there's the choked out weeds, the choked out weeds. What does it say? Let's look at it. Matthew 13, 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I don't know that there is a bigger danger to us in terms of becoming unfruitful, than the fact that we are rich, we've become wealthy, and we have need of nothing. The Laodicean church, some would say, also refers to the very last age, which we are clearly in. That this is a message from the Lord to the church right now. They were, you know, Laodicea was in a, is a, on a good trade route. They had good soil. They had all these sheep, and they had this particular kind of sheep that had this special black wool, and it was very desirable. And so they sold this stuff, and, I mean, they were wealthy. There was a lot of money in Laodicea, and apparently that trickled down eventually to the church. The Christians also had become wealthy. And, of course, there's a lot of things about becoming wealthy, one of which is you generally have to get along pretty well with the world in order to maintain that wealth and they did they did instead of looking like the church they looked like the world it said they were told walk in wisdom toward those who were outside it was very clear who was outside and who was inside first century church you kidding me these gentiles coming to jesus christ among a bunch of pagans and them saying there is one god jesus christ he died on the cross he rose again and that's the only way to heaven among all these pagans who worship whatever was going on and went to the temple prostitutes and did whatever. Absolutely world-changing difference. So it was very clear who was outside and who was inside. It's actually harder now. Lots of people will say they're Christians. Lots of people will say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. When's the last time that you went to a church service? Well, you know, yeah, I went to Easter, Christmas a couple years ago. I'm not really into that. I kind of do my own thing. Right? I, it's harder to know who's outside and inside. It wasn't hard for them. 
in the first century in 60 AD. It wasn't hard for them to know who was outside and inside, but by 90 it was. By 90, who did they start looking like? They started looking more like the world. No longer hot, no longer different, lukewarm. Lukewarm. The church stopped looking like the church. Stopped looking like they were called to be separate. Well, we got that problem in this country too, and in the West in general. We start, the church starts looking an awful lot like the world. And if you look at what is, uh, what the statistics say is that more and more people who claim to be Christ followers, who claim to be Christians, have lives that look exactly like the world does. Same amount or more of some things, whether it's divorce or using pornography or, or lying or stealing or cheating or whatever, what you start to see is that the Christians aren't separating themselves by living in holiness. And then you start asking them about what they believe and they can't tell you because they haven't done the work because they go to church and that's great and they see their friends and they listen to a sermon. Maybe they even give, maybe they even serve. But they're not growing. And 20 years later down the line, you got an 80-year-old Christian who hasn't grown in decades and you wonder, what are you about? Why are you wasting your time? Be cold. Be cold rather than lukewarm. If you're not going to do the work, if you're not going to grow in the Lord, you want to take your salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card and just live the rest of your life, then go do it. But if you're going to be serious about the Lord, then be here and be in it and grow and do the work. Because that's what we need. Because we've got to redeem the time. We've got to redeem the time. We cannot let our fruitfulness be choked out. We can't. If your goal, and this is, I want you to understand this. I know we're running out of time and I don't care. If your goal, if your goal in coming to the Lord was for the Lord to fix the things that were between you and personal peace and affluence, and that was what it was really about, I want to feel better, I want things to become easier, well, you'll, you'll meet that goal in this country eventually, generally speaking. I know some of you are like, I'm not rich. Yeah, tell me that when we go to Honduras next time. You're rich, okay? You're rich. And what happens is the problems go away. I see this sometimes where somebody comes, they're like, they come into church. I mean, they, they want to be with because their wife is leaving them or their boyfriend just broke up with them or they've got this, whatever. And then what happens is the circumstances that are surrounding that get fixed and they're gone. Because they were here for a thing. God was a goal to achieve some part of personal peace and affluence. And when they got it, they were done. And here's the problem. If that was your goal with God, you are not going to stay serious. When you run a marathon, which clearly I'm doing all the time. I have no idea. The first guy who did it died. And people are like, let's do that. I don't understand. I will run if you chase me. I, probably not. I, at this point, I'm ready to go meet the Lord. So I, I'm, not, I'm not big on running. If you run a marathon and you get done, you do not see these people immediately go, let's do it again. Because they've met their goal. They're done. They put the little space blanket on and cry and whatever people, what, of course they cried. Run 26 miles? I would be crying too. But they meet their goal. They met their goal. For the Christ follower, if your goal was, God, make my life easy, and your life starts to get easy, 
Why would you keep running? Why would you keep working? Your whole, God, your whole goal with God was to get something. And so the Laodiceans, they got wealthy and said, we have need of nothing. We have need of nothing. We're wealthy. We're rich. Personal peace and affluence. We don't need anything. And then they become lukewarm children. And the Lord has to tell them that actually you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. People are leaving the church. That's happening. And Kerry Newhoff, who does podcasts and has a blog and stuff, he, he wrote a blog post on 10 reasons why church attendance is declining. And the first reason that he gave, greater affluence. Greater affluence. Why is the church declining? Because people don't think they needed because they thought that what they needed was for their life to get easier. And the fact is, believe it or not, in this country, your life is about as easy as any human beings that have ever been on the face of this earth have had it. So if you're looking for ease in comparison to normal human suffering, you probably don't need church. Just need the government to send you another check like they did a couple years ago. You just need a decent job. You can solve that. But if you understand that you need Jesus, you want Jesus, you love Jesus, you understand what he did for you on the cross, that you need the Great Commission because you need to be useful in the things that God has given you, in your giftings, you need to do that, then you'll keep running. That marathon doesn't end until you die, brother, sister. It's over when you die, not when you decide to retire and go down to... Arizona, where people go. I get it, it's sunny. It's not I, weather. I'm all with you there. But you know what? I have a call until I die. Not until things get easier. Not until God fixes something. If you do that, you'll be lukewarm. You may still come to the church. Why not? Come sit down. These are where your buddies are, right? You're used to it. You've been doing it forever. It makes you feel good. I don't know what the reasons are that you would keep coming to church and not do the work to go from being a children to being a man or a woman in the Lord. Knowledge, wisdom, discernment, understanding. If you're not seeking those things, you're not seeking God. Because where are they found? They're hidden in Christ. So we got to do it. I know it'd be easier to just say, hey, let me give you three tips for how to have a better marriage. You know my tip is for how to have a better marriage? Learn, work hard, become a stronger believer. The other part will come naturally. I'm not, I'm not here to give you guys like the quick, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with giving good tips for good marriages. That's great. But from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, I've only got so many of these. So many of these hours where I can speak to you and where we can open the scriptures, the word of God. And when I do that, man, what I want is I want to see you mature and grow. I am so tired of watching people suffer because they refuse to mature themselves. They refuse to do the work. And they wonder why things go bad. And it's like, man, if you just would have listened. And I've been, I've been teaching now as a teaching pastor for eight years. There are people who have been at most of those sermons. 
Not all of those people that have been in most of those sermons have benefited from them in the way that they could have. Including myself, by the way. This isn't about getting on anybody. This is for me as much as it is for you. Man, we got to get serious. People are dying. People are going to hell. You got to be willing to risk that personal peace and affluence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that the Laodiceans weren't willing to risk it, and so they just started looking more and more and more like the world because that was safe and easy and maintained their personal peace and affluence. Well, some of you might have to end up becoming poor in order to be rich in the Lord. Test yourself. What is most important to you? Are you like the church at Laodicea, becoming lukewarm? Or are you growing? Are you stretching? Are you stretching to learn and to put what you learn into practice? Or has following Christ become a habit rather than a transformational relationship with the King of Kings? I'm not here to tell you to walk away. I don't want anyone to go cold. I'm trying to get you to go hot. We need hot Christians. Please don't quote just that on Twitter. (laughs) We need Christians who are passionate for the Lord. Man, that sounded bad. (laughs) When I write these things down, I really should think about what I'm saying. (laughs) But we do. We need Christ followers with the passion of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to actually change the world. That's what we need. Ask God to show you your own heart. Are you fruitful? Are you as fruitful as you should be, as you could be? If not, ask him why. Is it the desires of the flesh? Is it the lack of motivation because you're rich and wealthy and have need of nothing? Are you being taken in by the philosophies of the world because you are languishing as a child, as children in your Christ following? We gotta get passionate transform, grown up, great commission living, gospel proclaiming Christ followers. That's what we need. That's what I want to be. And that's what I want to equip you to be. Every Sunday when you walk in this building, you're on mission. Let's pray.